this episode will be the final episode for season one. Um, I, I want to thank all of you for listening. Um, as of right now, as of this recording, um, All Things True has had a, over a thousand plays and has made it to eight different countries. And it is all possible because of you. I, I want to thank you so much for your criticisms, your constructive criticisms. And, and I want to thank you so much for your, uh, your, your encouragement that you've given me in, in this first season of All Things True. Um, it, it wouldn't be possible without you. I, uh, want to encourage you, dude, I'm, I'm taking a break for the next few weeks until after the first of the year. And, and I want to encourage you to, to share episodes with your friends and episodes that you think they might need to hear. They might need to listen to. Uh, and, and I, I want to thank you so much for joining me as we have dived into scriptures and into God's word and, and into the Christian life and, as we discuss all things that have been true. On today's episode, I sit down with Josh Parnell. And Josh uh, goes into detail in God's word about what, about how God has designed the ideal sexual relationship between one man and one woman forever about how sex is to be in the confines of, of marriage and how it is to be enjoyable between men and women. And and we look at what Scripture says about all these things. And I hope you, I, I don't mean you listen while you drive, and I hope that you're uh, able to think of these verses later on, but I hope many of you are able to open up God's Word as, as we go through Scripture together. We look at the book of Genesis. We look at the book of Song of Solomon. We reference Proverbs. We, refer, we reference First uh, Corinthians and, and we Matthew nineteen and and we look at God's full design of how He created sex and, and what He has designed it for. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the episode. Listening to all things true. I'm your host, Cody B. Today we are on our second episode on sex education in church, and, and we're talking continually about, about purity culture, about what it is, and 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 some of the dangers within it. And 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 not only that, but this episode will focus on um what is the full revelation. If if only saying sex is bad is harmful, then what's the full revelation of of what God has for sexual intimacy. And to help me do that, I'm here with Josh Parnell. He's the uh, minister, full-time preacher at the uh, Monette Church of Christ in Monette, Arkansas. He's he's also a professor of Greek studies. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he teaches Greek at CRC at the local college there at Paragould. How are you today, Josh? I'm doing okay, buddy. You sure? Is that honest? <laughs> I'm a, I'm a little frazzled. Um, I don't know. I may be a little saltier than normal. That's uh, all right. But uh, 
Yeah. That's all right. For those who don't know, um, Monette was one of the areas I was hit with tornadoes recently. Um, and specifically, Josh has been um, passing out clothing and, and providing needs. His church has been providing needs to uh, tornado victims and storm victims in the in the Monette, Leachville, and Truman area. Is that right, Josh? Yeah. Uh, yeah, all three of those areas were hit. We're focused mainly on Monette and Leachville. Because um, Leachville, how far are you from Leachville? Uh, about 10 minutes. We're in the same school district. We share a school okay. district. So. If if someone and and Josh is you know he's he's giving out physical supplies, um and and you're also collecting funds, correct? We are, and all the funds are going to be used directly to aid victims of the tornadoes. So. If someone wanted to donate to that, how would they be able to get the, those funds to you? Well, if they want to go through the church, um, they could just mail it to um, the Monette Church of Christ. Uh, post office box 327, Monette, Arkansas, 72447. Um, there's also a, a, a relief fund that's being run by the city, and you'd contact Centennial Bank in Monette, Arkansas to go through that channel. Wonderful. Um, and, and our prayers are, are with you and with your community and, and your church. And, and we thank you so much for, for using um, your resources and your, and your manpower that you have there at Monette to to feed the hungry, water the thirsty, and, and, and close those that are naked. You're, you're doing a wonderful job, brother. Oh, thank you. And we really appreciate the prayers. Prayers mean more than anything, honestly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Josh, define for us, and, and I know we, we defined it last week, but just as a reminder, what is purity culture? Um. The way I understand purity culture, it's it's this idea that your your worth and your value is directly tied to your sexual purity. That the one of the primary objectives of your life should be to stay as chaste as possible until you get married. And then once you're married, somehow everything's supposed to be perfect. Um, and I think there's a, an, added, uh, an added wrinkle to that, that um, you're, <laughs> you're supposed to go, hey, sex is bad. I'm supposed to stay away from it. But I'm not, I'm not a real Christian until I get married. Mm. You know, it's like we elevate the idea of marriage and family. Um, and it's a real, in my experience, it's been a real mixed signal. This uh, you're to- supposed to avoid sexuality at pretty much all costs, but you're also supposed to get married. And then once you're married, you're supposed to have a healthy, wonderful, blissful sexual relationship. Um, and it's it's a tough thing to navigate through, especially as a teen, but even as a young adult and even as an older adult. Mm-hmm. Um, so what is your experience with purity culture? Um, I remember when I was in, um, when I was in high school, I got the, um, 
I was given the the I Kiss Dating Goodbye book by uh, Joshua Harris. Uh, there's probably some people who are familiar with that. And uh, we had another book. I don't remember the title of it, but it was a similar idea. Um, and those and those books, they they stressed, you know, save your first kiss until marriage. Um, you know, everything that you give to someone whom you're dating is something you can't give to someone you get married to. Um, I know that the doctors who were on your podcast last week, they mentioned the, uh, was it stabbing the tomato? No, that was, that was me. That was an analogy. That was you? From, yes. Yeah. Well, I remember, I remember a similar one and I was only like 12 or 13 when I saw this one. (laughs) Um, they passed around a rose. Oh yeah. Yeah. And told everybody to tear a petal off of it. Right. And then sending the idea at the end that, you know, you have a rose that all the petals ripped off. And every time a petal was pulled off, that was up to someone sexually. And now what are you? You know, you're just a, an ugly, empty rose. Nobody wants. Mm. And, uh, and, and I know that, um, those kind of messages were disproportionately sent to, uh, girls, I'm, and I acknowledge mm-hmm. that. I'm not ignorant of that. Um, but when our, when I heard that, it was in an all boys class. Mm-hmm. We were about 12, 13 years old. So, uh, e- even being a male, um, it was pounded into my head pretty early that to you, your, your value, your salvation, even. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, really hinged upon just as much abstinence from sexuality as possible. Mm. How wrapped up were you in the purity culture in, in high school and college? Oh, I was. I was totally sold on it. To I what was, extent? I was one hundred percent sold on it. Um, so. My girlfriend at the time, and we, we ended up getting married. We're still married uh, very happily. But uh, my girlfriend and I, you know, we'd read the same books and been through the same classes and all that. So we tried to, we tried to promise each other that uh, we weren't going to kiss until we got married. Like our first kiss would be on our wedding day. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, it sounded good in theory. Uh, it wasn't so much Um, I'll just go tell you we didn't save our first kiss till our wedding day Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I felt so guilty about it that it totally ruined it Um, and then you know and we did get married and we're still married, quite happily married. But the first, the first several years of our relationship, sexuality was very difficult. Because um, it just had a lot of a lot of mental blocks that had been 
built up throughout high school and early college. That's awesome. What? And if if I ever ask a Josh, look, this isn't live. If I ask a question you don't want to answer, just say I don't want to answer that question. Yeah, I know. and we'll we'll move on. Okay. Um, and if you want to edit anything out, you're not going to offend me either. So. Oh, well, that's good. How did you overcome those mental blocks? Uh, slowly and painfully. Mm. Like I, I, I wish there was some. Um, I wish there was some silver bullet answer I could tell everybody that could fix this. Because this, I mean, Cody, this is a real problem. This is a real widespread problem. Um, I mean, we, we already know how confused teens in general are on issues of sexuality, but Christian teens are very confused about sexuality. Right. And it's, it still affects them well into their marriage. But no, I, I had to learn that uh, sexuality was a good thing that the Bible says it is a good thing. And I also had to learn like what sexuality really is supposed to be as God has intended it. Because we, we associated so much shame with sex that I didn't want to talk to my preachers or youth ministers or even my parents about it. Like, because just the, we'd made it such a shameful topic that I didn't want to bring it up to them. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I needed, I needed a mature, uh, a mature, responsible, older adult who I could talk to, but I never felt safe with any of them. And it's, it wasn't them. Like I loved them. I felt safe with them. I would talk about all kinds of other things but I didn't feel safe talking about the topic of sexuality because the topic itself, we'd always, we just associated so much shame and guilt with it that I didn't want to bring it up. Um, so, you know, a lot of the sexual education that I did get, I got from pornography mm. and and I, you know, I know people don't like to talk about that either, but I think the last statistic I saw was that something like over 90% of youth in the U.S. have been exposed to it at some point. Yes. And then a majority of those um, become start using it every day. That's right. Because um, it's, among other things, it's highly addicting. I mean, the average age for your first exposure to pornography is 10 years old. I mean, we, we talked about extensively last week on the podcast. Is it, is um, it 10? Cause it's 10. The, the last time I heard from somebody, it was down to eight. Like we had, there was a presentation over at the Valley View Church of Christ with a, I got to talk about this subject. Well, he, had, he had it down as young as eight. Well, let me, let me Would rephrase. You... Last week, uh, Dr. Blake and Dr. Uh, Dr. Uh, Travis said it was, it was, the average was 10 years old. 
and the uh, I believe it was the um, twenty two percent of all minors that look at it regularly are under the age of ten. Okay, that's that's that. Yeah. Those were the statistics, statistics they were used. But Josh, there's very little difference between eight and ten. Yeah, either no, way, I mean, it's, it's a huge yeah. Problem. I mean, it, it's 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 horrible. <laughs> and. And I and I and, talked about this after last week's episode. I talked about this with, with some of our parents here. Um, you know, ten years ago, and, and especially twenty years ago when I was when I was you know in high school, um, coming up, you could just take your children's devices and devices in your house and how homes and you put restrictions on them, and that was good enough to curb that first exposure for a while. Yeah, but that's not the case anymore because you can't restrict all the devices in your child's school districts. Yeah, and in your children's churches. Yeah, it's it's impossible. Um, yeah, and it's a real problem because you know not only is it harmful and addicting, but it's it's a it's a totally farcical representation of what sex actually is. Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, and the world is waking up to this. I mean, I, I saw uh, in my newsfeed just yesterday, uh, Billie Eilish, the pop star. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she spoke out about how her, her first exposure to pornography was at 11. Wow. And, and she became a, a regular viewer of it. And then she said as an adult that it really has, uh, it screwed up her life in a lot of ways. Wow. You know, and it's just, I mean, it's, uh, and, and it's, it's terrible it's that happened. Epidemic. And it's, but it's awesome. She's willing to come out and, and speak out against it like that. It's really cool. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, really rare from our culture and our, in our world. Um, but if our children are getting exposed to it at so young, um, and there's very little we can do to prevent it the only other course of action is to educate them early. Yes. Um, and that's, that's what, that's what Dr. Um, Travis and, and Dr. Blake said last week. And, and they, they talked about some of those things and they just, I just watched, I just saw on Facebook, they made a post about how you can talk to your, your, your kids about it and, and how early that those things start. But um, the other issue is, is and- go ahead. I was I was going to say that was an awesome podcast, by the way. Oh, and well, that's that's sweet. If there's anybody listening who, for whatever reason, wasn't listening last week, they should definitely go check that out. Oh yeah, go. You yeah. should listen to that one before you listen to this one. Yeah. Um. But the the issue then becomes okay. So if only telling a part of the story is harmful, and it's it's hurting our our teenagers, hurting our college students, and and affecting people in their early married life, and and even years down the road, how do and, and preventing this is is education. Um, the question then becomes: Okay, if we are to teach the full revelation of God about sexuality, what it says, Josh, what is the full revelation? What does God's word say about sex? Okay. Well, God's word it says. It, um, I, I think probably more than some people think, and not as much as other people think. Um, but it does say quite a lot about because it, it's a it's a powerful part of human, and God is concerned about humans and their lives. 
Um, I think the first thing we need to get is that sex was created by God mm-hmm. on purpose. <laughs> on like, purpose. It wasn't created by the devil. It wasn't created as a result of the fall. Like sex was always part of God's plan for the human race. And you get that all the way back in Genesis 1. Uh, Verse 28, well, I'll start in verse 27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. How are you going to do that, Cody? Well, you're you're going to do it by having sex. Uh Uh-huh. I mean, that's part of it. That's how, that's given my understanding of reproductive biology which i admit is quite limited uh, <laughs> that's the way it gets done <laughs> and this is this is like the first set of commands that god gives people in the bible period mm. this is part of his plan and it always was and it, correct me if i'm wrong is that not the very first command i yeah i believe it is because the tree comes later. Yeah, this is right after. This is after. This is immediately after the creation of man mm-hmm. in the creation narrative. So yeah, this is the first command that is recorded in Scripture that God gives to humanity. And uh, then um, in chapter two of Genesis, you get an idea of what that relationship between a man and a woman is supposed to to be. So you get the, the more detailed story, creation of Adam and Eve in chapter 2. And then in verse 24, chapter 2, it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And so the, the biblical concept of sexuality is really centered in two people becoming one. You have two distinct people, man and a woman, and together they're becoming one flesh. And if we just sit with that idea for a minute, there is a, that is a very powerful idea. I mean, two people becoming one, having a union that brings them together on every level, that's an extremely powerful thing. And something can either be, you know, when something's that powerful, it can be used for good or it can be used for bad. Um, God intends it for good. And so, yeah, there is a dangerous side to it. You mess with anything that's powerful, you risk causing great harm if you use that thing improperly. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't use it. You can also use it for great good. Uh, we use a lot of analogies. I think fire is a pretty good analogy. You know, fire is extremely powerful. And when it is outside of... Um, when fire has gotten out of where it's supposed to be, then it can be very dangerous, very destructive. But when the fire is where it belongs, you know, in your campfire or your 
your furnace, your cooking stove or whatever, it can do great things that you can't. And it's a wonderful joy to have. It brings you heat. It brings you food, things that you need. It can power a vehicle, right? It's a powerful thing as long as it's where it's supposed to be. And sex is the same thing. You know, it's created by God. It's a gift from God. It's a bringing two people together that intimately is incredibly powerful and that can God intends that to be used for good. And sure, we can use it for evil as well if we use it other than he told us to. Just like we do with all of his gifts, when we misuse them, we cause great harm. But that doesn't mean that you're supposed to just avoid them at all costs. That means you're supposed to respect it and be thankful for it and to learn to learn how it is intended very good and i, I want to point out that these these scriptures that we've we've looked at the two becoming one flesh be fruitful multiply these these are scriptures that are also used by jesus in, in matthew 19 um, yeah these scriptures are <clears throat> Some folks refer to them as paradigms of scripture, but they show up a lot. Like they show up repeatedly throughout the Bible. It's like the Bible regularly makes points that go back to these texts. Later in scripture, it goes back to these texts. Um, what else does the, the Bible say about sexuality, Josh? Um, I'm about to get to the fun part. Uh, but before I do that, I think one element of this text that sometimes gets overlooked, um, right after he says they shall become one flesh in verse 25 of chapter two, mm -hmm. he says, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Mm. There is a, a level of vulnerability there. Because when, I mean, you sit sit and think with that for a minute. It's, it's two people becoming one, right? And you're, you're bearing yourselves to each other. It doesn't really work if there's not a, a trusting vulnerability between mm -hmm. the two parties. Which is something that I don't think we have taught um, each other to practice. Um, in, in my personal experience, you know, as I said, sexuality was such a shameful topic that I didn't feel comfortable talking about it with anyone. Well, even after I got married and had been married, for years and we'd been in a sexual relationship I, I had to learn to be vulnerable enough not you know it's one thing to be vulnerable physically but to be vulnerable mentally and emotionally and just open up to her right right and so that they're it's like with Adam and Eve they were not ashamed all right, they were together, they were 
they were naked, but they were not ashamed. And there's, there's not supposed to be an, there's not supposed to be any presence of shame uh, between mm. the husband and the wife. And I think that there is, um, I think that purity culture is partly to blame for that. And we have marriages all over the country where people are still suffering from this and they don't have anyone to talk to about it. Um, some of them might not even have really registered that this is a problem. You know, they're just kind of settled for wherever they are and just kind of rolling with it because that's what they're told they're supposed to do, especially women. What, what advice would you give those couples? Uh, it is not easy. <laughs> um, if you are used, if you have spent your life being guarded, practicing being guarded, it is really, really difficult to open up and be honest about what you're really thinking, what you're really feeling, what you're really dealing with. Um, but you're just going to have to do it. And if, if, you're, if your spouse is opening up to you about these things and you're shocked and you're saying, I why haven't I heard that before? We've been married all this time. Be loving and patient and listen. Because mm. it's a, I, I guarantee you it was not easy for them to bring it up. And if you need counseling, which you probably do, don't be afraid to go and get counseling. There are, right. there are professionals. There are professionals within the church mm -hmm. who this is their job. They deal with these things all the time and they are there and make, make use of that resource. That's right. Um, and it, it works. It, it helps. Does. It's beneficial. If, if you're finding yourself in this situation that Josh is describing or your marriage is in the situation Josh is describing, you don't have to stay in this situation. You can make it better. You, we, it can be fixed. Um, but it will take time, effort, and, and as Josh said, it will require becoming more vulnerable and letting down those guards. Um, excellent stuff, Josh. All right. All right. So, ready to get to the fun part? I'm, I'm, I'm here. I'm ready. Okay. So, how many sermons have you preached out of the Song of Songs? <laughs> Zero. <laughs> I thought about that last week when I was talking about them. They were discussing these things, and I can't bring it up. You know, that's what teaches the Song of Solomon. That's what teaches the Song of Solomon. But I've been here at Perryville for seven years, and I've never taught or preached from the from Song of Solomon, which is part of the problem. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I was in a marriage in the home at CRC, a, a course, marriage in the required course, marriage in the home at Curly's Ridge College. And um, when, when I took it, they had us watch this video. It was a, a lecture by a gentleman. I think his name was Mark Dunker, I think was his name. 
Um, but he shared some scriptures from Song of Solomon in his lecture. And I, it blew my mind. That's in the Bible. So I want to share them on your podcast, Cody. Go for it, man. Okay. So uh, let's see. Here's one. Um, Song of Solomon chapter 4. And, you know, anybody who doesn't know, Song of Solomon, it's a love song. It's a love song shared uh, reciprocally between a, a bride and a groom. Uh, it's going back and forth. Sometimes the bride speaks, sometimes the, the groom speaks. Uh, but in chapter 4, this is the groom speaking to the bride. Uh, he says in verse 3, Your lips are like a scarlet thread, and your mouth is lovely. Your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate behind your veil. Your neck is like the Tower of David, built in rows of stone. On it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. And then verse 5, your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle that graze among the lilies. Did you know in the Bible there's a verse bragging about how good the girl's breasts look? I did. Never <laughs> said it from the pulpit, but I did. I know, but it gets better. But it gets better. So we don't just talk about how beautiful things look. So over in chapter 7, verses 7 and 8, he says, Your stature is like a palm tree, and your breasts are like its clusters of fruit. I say, I will climb the palm tree and lay hold of its fruit. That is also in the Bible, Cody. I knew that. <laughs> Like I said, I never taught it. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's not bashful. No. It's celebratory. Mm -hmm. Like the, this is part of God's holy word. And it is a song celebrating the, the joy of sexual love between a husband and wife, between a bride and groom. And, um, Okay, those are both from the groom's perspective. I'll do one more. This is from the bride's perspective. Uh, it says, well, I should be fair. I think some scholars would disagree with me if this is the bride's perspective, and that's fine. Um, I think it's the bride. Um, so first the, first the husband says to the bride. What, what chapter? What verse? Uh, chapter 4, verse 12. And this, I think, is the husband speaking. And I think that after it, the bride, after this verse, the bride starts speaking. Um, that's just my interpretation. A lot of people out there who disagree, that's okay. That's fine. Um, he says, A garden locked is my sister, my bride, a spring locked, a fountain sealed. Now, if you're not catching the imagery there, um, Gardens and springs and doors are often used as euphemisms for female genitalia. And if you check in Proverbs chapter 5, I know it uses the spring metaphor quite a bit. And uh, Proverbs is more practical advice about, hey, don't commit adultery. It's a dumb idea. Um but it uses some of the same imagery. Mm. 
But anyway, a garden locked is my sister, my bride, a spring locked, a fountain sealed. Then verse 13. Your shoots are an orchard of pomegranates with all choicest fruits. Henna with nard, nard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, with all trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes with all choice spices, a garden fountain, a well of living water, and flowing streams from Lebanon. Awake, O north wind, and come, O south wind, blow upon my garden, let its spices flow. Let my beloved come to his garden and eat its choicest fruits. Mm. Hmm. So do I need to go into detail what they're saying there, or do you think the listeners get it? To be blunt, <laughs> it, it sounds as if it's, um, it's oral sex. It does. It does. And I'm pretty sure that's exactly what it is. And I don't think this is, there are other passages in Song of Solomon, I think are referencing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. Um, there's another one, chapter 5, verse 4. My beloved, this is the bride again. My beloved put his hand to the latch, and my heart was thrilled within me. I arose to open to my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the bolt. You know, as this is um, this is erotic language mm-hmm. for the time. And, I, and we lose a lot of it in the, the imagery of the day. You know, this is, what, three or four thousand years ago on the other side of the world. Mm-hmm. You know, so we use a lot of, we lose a lot in the imagery. But this is purposely erotic um, imagery being used. And it's being used in a celebratory way. Because this is a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful issue. And I, but, you know, it's not just the physical aspect of the relationship. Mm-hmm. Because like elsewhere in Song of Solomon, uh, verse chapter three, chapter three, on my bed by night, I sought him who my soul loves. And then you skip down to verse three. The watchmen found me as they went about in the city. Have you seen him whom my soul loves? Scarcely had I passed them when I found him whom my soul loves. I mean, she's not just, it's not just a physical attraction. That's her, right. Yeah. Her soul longs for him. And, you know, the, and really that word soul um, in Hebrew, it's nefesh. It's, it's not like we tend to think of soul as like just your spiritual part, like the part of you that's not physical. But it's more like you're everything, like everything that you are. Like mind and feeling and spirit and everything, like your whole life. Everything in her is longing for her lover. Right. It's it's a full, complete relationship. Probably the biggest lie that the world gives us with sex is that it's possible to have sex with, with uh, no strings attached. Mm-hmm. No, it's not. Mm-hmm. That's It's not real sex if there's no strings That's attached. Right. That's not real. You're... Com- you're you are... You're opening up everything that you are to another person and willingly sharing it with them, right? There's there's going to be strings, and they're supposed to be. You're supposed to be knitted together. That's how it's designed. Yes. Um, the two becoming one flesh is is a. Uh, I, I guess I can't really say eternal. 
um, because of what Jesus says about in heaven, and they're, they're neither married nor given in marriage. Yeah. Um, but but it is a for your for the rest of your earthly life commitment. Yeah, that's how it's intended to be sure. And and I don't know if you want to get into. Marriage and divorce and remarriage, it's like a whole other can of worms in itself. I'd, I'd rather not. I mean, this, yeah, is, this is heavy but, enough. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's um, – wait here. One, one last verse, and I'll, I'll be done with Song of Solomon. But chapter 8, verse 6. Right? Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is strong as death. Jealousy is as fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. Right? This is not no strings attached. This is, hey, you are a seal upon my heart, upon my arm, with a love as strong as death. A love that can't be quenched, can't be drowned. A love worth more than all your earthly possessions. Yep. That that is what God envisions for. Um, That's the ideal for, sexual relationship. Yes. One man, one woman, committed emotionally, mentally, physically, forever. Yes. Now. I feel like this really needs to be said, though. Okay. Say it. As wonderful as a healthy sexual relationship between a husband and wife, especially a Christian husband and wife, is and can be, I do feel that there, the church has kind of overrated marriage on another level. Right. Okay. Um, I briefly mentioned this earlier, but marriage has become an expectation for, mm -hmm. and we're disappointed if they don't get married. Right. By a certain age. And then as soon as they're married, we're disappointed if they don't have kids. That's right. And they hear it. They feel it. They are aware of it. And I don't believe that is biblical. You're absolutely right. We we need we have to acknowledge that Paul wasn't married. That Jesus wasn't married. Um, yeah, in First Corinthians seven, um, Paul, and he's answering a question. Right, they wrote him asking about, "Hey, is it good for a man not to touch a woman?" And he spends a whole chapter talking about marriage and, and so forth. Um, but he says in verse 38, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 38. Uh, so then, he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. He who marries does well. He who refrains from marriage will do even better. That's what Paul said. 
And his reasoning for that is a few verses earlier, uh, starting in verse 32. But he's, you know, he said, you know, if you're unmarried, you're able to focus on serving the Lord. Whereas if you're married, you've got to be focused on taking care of your family. And that's, there's nothing wrong with taking care of your family. That's your duty if you're married to take care of your family. And you should love your family. You know, God expects you to love your God intends for you to love your family, but you don't have to get married. You don't have to start your own family. You don't. In fact, in many ways, it is better if you don't. Like if you want to commit your life to just serving God and you don't want to take on the burden of a husband or a wife. Um, or for that matter, if you if you are a married couple and you determine you don't want to have any children because you want to devote that time and energy to serving the Lord. That is a perfectly biblical thing to do. And uh, we've lost that. Mm -hmm. We have totally lost the idea of Christian singleness in in evangelical culture. And and Josh, who it hurts as well is not just the ones who have made the choice, but the ones who are married couples who can't physically have kids. Yes. Who who suffer from infertility. and young married couples who who don't have kids and, and they're waiting for 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 later, I I've heard some awful things said to childless wives on Mother's Day. Mm. Yeah, I actually several years ago I just stopped preaching Mother's Day sermons. Yeah, I. I usually I usually say every Mother's Day I say we're so glad to see all of you here. We usually have extra guests, you know. So glad to see all of you here. Um, I'm just gonna let you know up front, you're probably expecting a Mother's Day sermon. I don't preach those because I know this is a painful day for many people for many different reasons. And then I just preach whatever was next in my sermon rotation right. because. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, we we. We said a lot of, of hurtful things because we've we've elevated marriage and children higher than they should be. In in my opinion, mm-hmm. we've done that as a you know that the evangelical American Christian culture has done that. Um, and I, I, I really think that's part of why we've been so impotent and helpless at addressing um, issues of LGBT sexuality, right? Because we've, we tell these kids, like, God wants you to get married and have a family. Like, that's, that is like you're, the most important decision you can make in life. I heard this a bunch of times growing up. The most important decision you can make in your life is to follow Christ. The second most important decision is who you marry. Mm. Not if you marry, who you marry. Mm. And I, I, I heard that over and over again growing up. Um, we, we, we just tell these kids, you know, you're supposed to have a family. You're supposed to get married. And then they, they're not attracted to the, the biblical family model for whatever right. reason. I mean, we'll just say it out loud. Some aren't attracted to the opposite sex. Right. Um, So they're not attracted to that. 
and they know well i don't know some of them try to make it work anyway yeah um many of them know that it won't but we haven't given them any alternative right it's like you're supposed to make you're supposed to have a family start a family and and then we tell but if you don't do it this way then well you're condemned and there's no place for you there's always there's always been in the history of the church these are supposed to be there is a third option and but we've lost it we totally i mean i mean paul says it's better he's like marriage is good but singleness is better and we've we've just totally lost that idea that whole concept so i i think that's that's a i don't know if i'm getting off topic here but that's an element of sexuality in the church that needs to be addressed is that is as as wonderful as a healthy relationship between a husband and wife can and should be um a life lived um as a single devoted to god can also be uh healthy and wonderful and in some ways better according to scripture that's right excellent thoughts man excellent thoughts um I also, and I don't know how to say this, so I'm just going. I'm just going to say it, Josh. I'm not going to beat around the bush. Be bold. Uh, be bold. <laughs> I. Uh, it's it's also possible. I, I don't want anyone to to, to mistake me for this. Um, it's also possible to overemphasize sex in a marital yeah. relationship. Yes. Um, because we also need to realize that there are married couples who physically can't have sex. Yeah. For not not just mental blocks because of purity culture, but because of, of health reasons. Yes. Um, and, and as we, we saw from Song of Solomon, um, why, while the ideal sexual relationship, or, or excuse me, the, the biblical designed god designed sexual relationship is for a man and a woman to love each other to the extent to where um they they love each other until they they pass away from this earth um and from what's a strong language as we saw from song solomon mm-hmm. um it's it's also important for us to to, to realize that there's going to be times in that relationship where sex won't be possible. Yeah. That love is the most important part of a marriage and not necessarily, not necessarily sex. Yeah. You're, you're supposed to, well, you know, it's like Ephesians says, you love them, you know, husbands to love his wife as he loves his own flesh. Mm. Right. It's, you're supposed to have the same love, Speaking to husbands, you know, it's the same love for your wife that Christ had for the church, mm-hmm. right? That's that sacrificial giving of everything. So, I mean, you, yeah, you seek what's best for them. Seek what's best for your wife. Seek what's, you know, it's, yeah, it, it's a seal upon the heart.
Excellent stuff, Josh. Uh, we're 50 minutes into this. Is there any final thoughts you have? Or any, uh, are there any other scriptures you wanted to go to? <laughs> no, I think we better stop there. <laughs> Is there any final thoughts you have? Um, final thoughts. Sex is really complicated. It is complicated and complex because it's, you know, it, it is an intimate, it, it's, it's an intimate experience between two people, right? And people themselves are complicated and complex. Um, it's not always easy to talk about. But it is created by God and it is created for our good. There are plenty of passages of scripture that address it. And the church and ministers, you and me, we have got to get over being so uncomfortable with this topic because we live in a world where kids are being taught that sex is one of the most important things in the world. Um, I, I consider it to be one of our primary goddesses in the American pantheon. You know, it's, it's practically worshipped in film, in song, and a lot of what is offered through film and song is not an accurate depiction of the real thing. That's right. And it is and, God's design. Yeah. And, you know, we, we really picked Rightfully so, but good grief, the stuff in the movies isn't realistic either. Right. And, but that ends up being the education, the sexual education that a lot of our kids get because we're not talking about it. We're not talking about it at church. We're not telling them what the Bible has to say. And that's got to change. I know it's complicated. I know it's not, we, we don't need to try to make it too simplified, you know, but it's, it's, it's uncomfortable, it's messy. It's also beautiful because it's created by God. And we just got to be willing to open up and search the scriptures and, and talk about these things. That's right. Re reveal the entire divine truth. And it's important for us to do that with this, not just this subject, but all subjects that the Bible talks about. Yes. Thank you so much for listening to All Things True. I'm your host, Cody B. Um, once again, uh, thank you so much for listening. And remember, all things were made by him.